we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Brett Barrow, founder and CEO of HerFeed, a place for women to get advice and ask their questions. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor does it imply, to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always consult your healthcare provider to determine the appropriateness of the information for your own situation. If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your physician. Participating in this event with this clinician does not create a physician-patient relationship. Joining me today, we are going to be discussing COVID, mental health, how to curb negative coping habits and overcome loneliness. And here with me is Dr. Robin Henderson, who serves as the Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon. She also serves as clinical liaison to Wellbeing Trust, whose mission is to improve the mental, social, and spiritual health of the nation. In this role, she provides clinical oversight for investments in programming, ensuring they are consistent with the mission and values of both organizations. Hello, Dr. Henderson. Thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for having me, Brett. It's good to see you again. You too. How are you doing? How is everything? You know, I'm doing okay. It's yeah. it's always very interesting uh, when the school year ends. You've got kids who are home for the summer, uh, but this year it's like the kids came home in March, <laughs> so the school year ending was kind of anticlimactic, to be honest. Right, I can imagine. It it sort of feels like they are on a permanent summer. I would imagine. <laughs> levels. Um, before we really delve into everything that we're going to discuss today, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do at Providence? Well, uh, in my role at Providence, I oversee all of our behavioral health offerings here in the Oregon region. Uh, that includes acute care, outpatient services, the work we do with behavioral health and primary care, and other specialty services. I also have a partnership at a system level uh, overseeing the clinical programming that we offer throughout Providence in all seven of our regions, which has been a really powerful way for us to learn from each other, grow with each other, especially during these COVID times. Wow. Uh, and that's been really an awesome thing to do. I also oversee the Work to Be Well program and provide clinical direction for that, which really targets youth mental health issues and, and how youth are coping uh, in these times of stress. I was just going to actually ask you, in terms of youth, how, do you, how, are, how, are, how are young people doing right now? They're trying their level best not to be bored. Uh, <laughs> and for many of them, they had online school. For some kids, that worked and it stuck. For other kids, it really didn't and was a point of frustration. And I think that's part of what we're seeing now is young people are, are having their schedule disrupted, their parents' schedules are disrupted. And for the most part, they're unable to give in to their natural instincts, which right now a young person's natural instinct is to push back from and separate from their families and their parents and hang with their friends. 
And the reality is that's pretty difficult to do in a pandemic where we're still practicing physical distancing in order to keep ourselves safe. So there's a real struggle, I think, for young people. I also think that there's a lack of knowledge and understanding of what's going to happen in September. Uh, Many states have released guidance around school. Uh, Many are holding back at this time. And it's really unclear whether students will be going back to school. And if they do, what that experience is like. So I think that unpredictability has been destabilizing for a lot of youth. I feel like it, I mean, I can't imagine, I think back to school times and just that social interaction, I think is so vital to a young person's life. But sort of on that note as well, I I don't think I realize because I've always worked from home. And so I tend to be much more of an introvert, I guess, on some levels um, that, you know, all of this pandemic really has triggered a lot of loneliness in a lot of people. I think that the isolation, even for me, someone who is so used to being on my own, being at home, um, has at times totally worn on me. Have you seen a lot of people all ages, you know, struggle with this? Absolutely. Uh, people of all ages are struggling with the, the sense of loneliness and that lack of connection. Um, take, for instance, people who regularly attend church or some other type of social activity. That's where they get their connections with people. And yet we've seen that those types of things connecting in person can't really happen. But for those people who don't even have that type of a social group that may have been able to pick up and become a Zoom church uh, or a Zoom event, that loneliness can be intensified. Some families are gathering together and doing FaceTime calls and Zoom calls and making sure to check in. But for a lot of of our population, especially our elders and seniors, those individuals who are already struggling with loneliness to begin with are even more isolated and forgotten. And that can really be difficult uh, even when they're living in a congregate care setting like a nursing home because they're isolated in their rooms. They can't go out and, and have the normal interactions that they would have in a recreation group or go on outings because they're putting themselves at risk. Right. So that isolation can be um, really harmful to your mental health. Um, is loneliness a, um, is it an actual diagnosable health, like mental health, uh, illness or issue? I mean, what, 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 I guess, what, how does loneliness really impact us? Because obviously it is affecting your mental health, but it does, I think it does, does it trigger more depression? Does it, you know, trigger some type of anxiety in us? How does it really impact us? And also, what can we do to combat that? So loneliness in and of itself is not a diagnosis, but loneliness can impact everything about our physical and mental health and our emotional well-being. When we're feeling lonely, when we're not having social interaction, when we don't have even the companionship of a pet, um, that type of interpersonal loneliness can lead to, to depression and it can heighten underlying mental health and other health conditions and make things worse for someone. Having that ability to connect with people, to talk with people is an important part of being a human being. And it was interesting, I was talking with somebody the other day who happened to remark to me, um, you're the first person I've spoken to in a week. And thinking about how that would feel to be in a situation where you're home, you're isolated, you're alone, and no one has spoken to you in a week. That's an overwhelming thought because it hits right at your self-worth, 
Am I worth talking to? Things like that. Um, but it also can lead to the kind of, of cognitive distorted thinking that happens for people where they may get themselves into a, a, a whole thought process of people aren't talking to me. There must be something wrong with me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When the reality is, it is that the social bubble that you're in during this time of physical distancing hasn't expanded enough to allow for that type of connection. And I think for many of us who have the ability to make those connections, we have a responsibility to reach out to people we know who may be lonely, who may be isolated, who may need someone to talk to, who may not be connected on social media. And that comes to how do we combat loneliness? I mentioned social media because amazingly enough, social media is the thing that's allowed us to be able to keep connected socially while being physically distant from each other. And I am always amazed at the number of online forums that have popped up for people to begin to have conversation together. Uh, there are online support groups for people with depression and anxiety, online support groups for people who are struggling with substance use disorders, online support groups for people who like to knit too much. Um, there are all kinds of different online areas where you can join in, whether you know someone or not, and begin to participate and develop that piece of community. It really lends itself to the idea that there, are, in order to combat loneliness, sometimes you have to choose discomfort to get involved in something that you may not be familiar with uh, in order to begin to develop new relationships. And that's scary. Right. Anytime we develop new relationships, it's scary. But one of the biggest ways to combat loneliness is to take those little baby steps and maybe start a new hobby, join an online knitting group and learn how to knit and learn how to, you know, talk with other people while you're knitting and, and ask those questions or whatever the hobby or passion may be. Cooking is another great example. I've seen a lot of online postings about people's cooking and different cooking shows and different opportunities to talk about that. Those can be very good ways to begin to, to combat that by having that regularly scheduled opportunity to even engage with someone else in a cooking show. I Yeah, you make a really good point because even for me, I actually just painted my kitchen. I needed something to do to kind of give me, help me feel like I had some sense of purpose or just to do something. And knowing that I'm still choosing, even though I live in LA and it is starting to open up, I'm still choosing to sort of self-quarantine as much as possible. Um, but it, you know, it's been a few months now, so I feel like it is, it was starting to wear on me, but giving me something to do definitely helped. Um, you know, this past week, actually, I was talking to somebody when I was reading the news and um, uh, Elizabeth Hurley's ex-boyfriend um, actually had committed suicide um, here in LA. And it, the articles and everything about it was about how he was struggling with loneliness and depression and, you know, who knows really what was going on. But I, I do keep reading about a lot of suicide with younger people and just people in general during all of this. Um, you know, if you were someone who, you know, is worried about someone else and their, like their mental well-being, like what can we do while we're still physically distancing ourselves? Or are there signs that we can look at, you know, that might, be, allow us to know that someone might be struggling more than they're letting on? Those are really great questions. There are signs that we can look for to know if someone's struggling. And the best way to really engage with that person is to reach out and talk to them and say, are you okay? No, I mean, really, are you okay? And sit down and listen. 
um, familiarize yourself with the resources that are available. I know here in Oregon, as in many states, we have access to the suicide hotlines. In Oregon, we have a program called Youth Line. In LA, it's called Teen Line, uh, that are staffed with young people who are trained as crisis counselors to talk with people. And being able to, to call someone that you're concerned about, FaceTime with them, and engage in a conversation and, and ask, how are you? How are you taking care of yourself? And if you begin to learn that they're not and that they're depressed, offer the opportunity to, you know, there's, there's resources. We could call the crisis line together. We could, you know, reach out and get you connected. But getting somebody connected to a crisis line, to a professional, to somebody who can really engage with them, it, it is harder in these socially distanced times, but it's something that you can actively do. And if someone's not willing to engage uh, with a resource to begin to get some help and you're really, really worried, then reaching out to someone who may be within their social bubble that can go in uh, to their home and sit with them and, and be with them and just really make that connection. Because here's what we know about suicide. Suicide is a, is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Right. And it's a very impulsive um, action that results from that spiral of depression and loneliness and cognitively distorted thinking that you can't get out of the trap that you're in. And being able to insert uh, some reason into that and be able to insert some hope, because that's the really the biggest indicator that we have is that lack of hope. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that right now people really are just in general, they are struggling. But if, um, you know, have you seen people that have had prior mental health issues are, are people's is, are people's mental health getting worse? Is people, is mental health, are mental health issues on the rise or are, you know, are people getting worse right now or are people, you know, sort of staying stagnant or are there new um, mental health issues that are arising right now? Because I feel like everybody I know in some capacity is truly struggling in different ways. I think that's accurate. Um, I think that while I don't have the ability to say, you know, definitively these mental health issues are on the rise at this point, we don't have the data to show that. I think the experience is showing that people who are struggling with mental illness before this crisis hit are likely in the middle of service disruptions, have had to change the way they're, they're getting their care. And that has probably exacerbated some of those things. Although I'd hope that, that we've been able to pivot. I know most of our our therapists have moved to a tele-environment and people have followed that and found that to be really, really, really helpful. Um, I think though, for many people who may not have been struggling with a mental illness before or may not have been as aware of it, being at home, being isolated, not being around people and being able to have those outlets uh, is exacerbating those issues for depression, anxiety and, and other types of issues. And they may not be able to reach out to their primary care provider or, or a therapist or something like that. And what I would say to those folks is now is the perfect time. You know, if you're at home and you've got the ability to take the time to reach out and work on your mental health, this is a really great time to do so. There are therapists out there now who have switched to being tele, uh, making it much easier for people to get in and to get support. 
There are free services online. There are apps that you can download that even will help with such simple techniques like mindfulness in order to be able to help people feel grounded and calmer and reduce that anxiety that can come from this whole period of, of unknown and destabilization. Um, there are all kinds of online support groups that even if, if you want to, you know, if you find yourself getting into a cycle where your coping mechanism is to drink every night and you're deciding that that's not for you uh, and that that's not a really great healthy coping mechanism, there's a lot of online support for that. Even if you're not willing to fully give up alcohol at this point, even just to have that support to understand whether or not your drinking is a problem. So I think that there are a number of, of mental health and substance use disorders issues that are gonna be exacerbated by this time. And at the same time, this is probably one of the biggest opportunities we've had to really reach people in a lot of different ways. Um, the federal government released many of the restrictions around teletherapy, making it possible for people to be seen just like you and I are talking right now. Right. And when those restrictions got released, therapy became available to many marginalized populations that may not have had uh, those services available um, within their communities. So it, it's kind of that double-edged sword. We have probably more issues than we've had before, but we also have a lot more resources. resources. What, what should somebody uh, who feels, someone is, feels like they're struggling, you know, what, what would you say would be the first thing that they should do? Should they go look for these resources online? I mean, can they, um, should they, I mean, is the first, is the first step just realizing that you're struggling? Uh, and if so, what are signs that you're struggling? Because I don't, you know, some of this, I feel like some people might be, you know, feeling down and feeling like they are struggling, but it's also kind of, uh, a reaction or because of what's going on, you know, and it may, it may be something that is temporary, but then there could be other people that this could, I would imagine this could be triggering something a little bit deeper inside of them. So what, like, what can we do to sort of take control over our mental health right now? You know, the first thing really is the, the recognition that, that you are struggling and, and there are some easy signs and symptoms for that. Um, oversleeping, uh, or having insomnia, uh, those are really big signs. Um, that inability to get up and, and go out and do things and, and exercise and even walk uh, because you're just so fatigued and so overwhelmed. Uh, that overcoming sadness where you know everything is always sad and you begin to, to cry easily all of the time. Um, the feelings that people get often of that lack of control that anxiety that can be overwhelming and begin to, to turn into a panic attack. All of these are signs that uh, you're not coping well and that you're struggling. Overeating, undereating, uh, excessive drinking, uh, drug use, things like that are all signs that we're not coping well with what's going on. And often the first step that we advise is to have a conversation with your primary care provider. It's really easy now, uh, especially within the Providence system, to have a conversation with your primary care provider because, again, you're going to do it right like this right. on a daily monitor right now. And they can get you connected to resources available to you to begin to help identify what you need to do to take back control of your life and to be able to, to move forward. Um, that's really the best first step. If you don't have a primary care provider, or the need is more urgent, 
calling your local crisis line and just talking it through with someone else to really get that kind of a, a normal check of, am I really okay? And what are the, the three things that I can control and do today? What are the, the three things that I can do? The biggest thing that I always tell people is get your body moving again. Even if it's just going out for a walk around the block a few times, get outside, it's sunny, get a walk in, do, you know, go jogging, but get your body moving and get those endorphins moving. Eat healthy. We have an opportunity right now with, with many of us uh, still quarantined at home to learn some new skills about healthy eating and it makes a difference. What we put into our body really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, making sure that you're getting enough water and hydrating, making sure that you know there's balance in what you're doing in your life. Um, part of what's created a lot of anxiety for people is working from home. It's a very different feeling working from home. And we often have all of these, these feelings that we put on top of ourselves of, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm working from home, so I must work more. And the reality is we need to be kind to ourselves and take breaks. We don't have a water cooler to gather around. And so some people will just work all through the day and never take a break. And that's not healthy. Build breaks into your schedule and take care of yourself. Um, and I think I mentioned before, looking at some of those apps that are, are looking at mindfulness-based techniques so that you can get yourself grounded uh, and really feeling your body. And that will immediately help to reduce anxiety when you just even take a few minutes to do a simple four square breathing exercise and ground yourself in your body and take a fresh perspective going in. But I guess the biggest overall message, Brett, is we need to be kind to ourselves. Yeah. We're in a new world right now and it's pretty tough out there. I was just gonna say, you know, there's, I feel like we are all, we are definitely in a new world. And, you know, if you read the news and you see that right now, I got in some places COVID is spiking and, you know, certain states are closing down. How do we continue to feel okay with this new normal that also seems to be changing or could be changing? How, how do, yeah. It's tough because every day, I was talking about this earlier this week, there's something called change fatigue where when everything in the guidance is changing all of the time and every time we, we turn on the TV, there's new guidance around masks, there's new guidance around this. Um, we can open up, now we're, now we're not. That change fatigue can be very destabilizing and can really uh, increase the feelings of helplessness that we have that contribute to depression, anxiety, and all of the other things we've been talking about. And recognizing that um, the change fatigue, you know, everybody is doing the very best they can. People aren't changing the guidance because they're wanting to destabilize us. They're changing the guidance because we're learning new things about this virus every single day. And as we learn new things, we're trying new things to be able to prevent the spread. And sometimes we're right and sometimes we're not. But recognizing that we're all in this together. You know, COVID came at us at, at a point in time in our history where the best thing that we can do is pull together as a society and combat this disease together. That's the piece that we can control. People have politicized the idea of mask wearing mm -hmm. and the idea that, you know, it's, it's my freedom to be able to not wear a mask. Well, the reality is wearing the mask when you're outside in public is part of how we care for each other because I'm wearing the mask for you and you're wearing the mask for me. And that's part of our common humanity. It's not a political statement 
one way or the other. It really is about the basics of viral transmission, wear a mask, wash your hands, do the basic things that we need to do. Um, but that piece of change fatigue, we really can't lose the importance of how much that's impacting all of us. And just having that kind of, of overarching understanding that it's gonna take all of us to beat this virus together. We all have a hand in this. I think it, I mean, I don't know when else we've really all been in the same situation. You know, when you really think about it in terms of humanity, this is one of those weird times. And I was actually just talking to somebody the other day and I was sort of joking, but not really being like, I mean, this is the one time that most of us will ever remember that we're all sort of in the same place, whether it's a different situation. And I do think that going back to that sense of isolation and loneliness in that way, I would imagine that if, if we started to sort of recognize that we're all in this together, there might be this sense of feeling less lonely, knowing that, you know, in some way we're all in a similar boat. And that's why it's been really heartening to see people who are um, isolated and quarantined and aren't able, are able to find a, a piece of contribution um, and a piece of, of satisfaction in contributing to the greater whole by using their sewing skills to make masks. Right. Um, I saw someone this morning who was using her cooking skills to make lasagnas for her community. Oh. Uh, the things that we can do, even if it's as simple as baking a tray of muffins for your neighbor, who you know hasn't been out of their house in several weeks, those are the things that are gonna connect us as humans that really can be catalysts for change in, in how we care for each other. But I think if we've learned anything from this virus, it's that we have a, a responsibility to each other as humans. And that's the point of humanity in this, that, that we have to figure out how can I care for my fellow humans right now? I may not be able to make lasagnas. I may not be able to sew masks and I may not be a healthcare worker who goes into a hospital every day, but what is it that I can do to feel part of humanity? That's also going to help with your loneliness. I, I do feel like kindness and doing, giving back to others. Definitely. When you feel like you're doing good, I do think that there is almost a ripple effect where you start to feel better about yourself. Yes. But in terms of, I guess, because right now there's, we, we are still dealing with such an unknown and there is so much going on. What would you say would be the best pieces of advice that we, that each person can take to take care of our mental health? You know, really right now to take care of your mental health is to start by being kind to yourself. Exercise, get enough sleep, eat good food, and watch the toxins you're putting into your body. Um, take care of those around you. Check in on your family and friends. Broaden that circle of who you're talking to to make sure that you're able to connect with elders in your community, with people you may know. And if you don't have any elders in your community or people that you know and you want to have those types of connections, I guarantee you. There are senior centers all over your community that are looking for people who would be willing to visit with people who've been isolated and just talk. And mm -hmm. having that ability to reach out and connect with other people is really important. If you're not having those experiences to be able to reach out and connect with other people, find the paths that you can figure out of how to become part of a, a, a broader community. Whether it's looking at you know, joining a, a, a support group of some kind or volunteering to talk to people who are in a nursing home, or you know, even just volunteering to be a, 
a crisis line caller. I know that right now the youth line and lines for life here in Oregon are still training crisis line volunteers in a virtual way so that they can continue to provide support. And those types of opportunities are what's going to keep us all going and thriving. But the biggest piece of advice is figure out what you can do to care for your fellow human being. Figure out what you can do to make it safe for everybody, because that's what's going to come back to you as well. Right. I agree with that 100%. Um, We actually are, I can't believe it, we're almost out of time. Uh, But is I know this went by really fast. But is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up? Because I do feel like this is obviously, there's a lot here to take in and there's a lot that's going on. So, you know, we've covered a lot today, but is there anything else that you want to add before we have to wrap up? Absolutely. The biggest thing I would also add is if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, if you have feelings of uh, thoughts of suicide and despair, please reach out. There is always somebody willing to listen. I know the phone numbers are scrolling along the bottom of our screen. There's always somebody there to talk to. And don't be afraid to reach out to your healthcare professional. We are open for business. We are ready to serve you. And we will make sure that you're safe. But we also need you to uh, make that first phone call and connect and and we'll be here for you. I think that's really good advice. And I think, you know, it's important that we all remember that Yes, this is a really hard time, but we will get through this. We've gotten through things in the past and that hopefully will be a better day coming soon if we all can just stay strong and continue to be kind to each other. But um, we are basically, we're out of time. So thank you so much, Dr. Henderson, for joining today. As always, it was such an information, such an incredible and informational uh, chat with you. But um, and to everyone else who is listening, thank you so much. Uh, if you are looking for help with your mental health or other medical advice, please visit Providence.org. You can also follow Dr. Henderson on Instagram at Doc Rob Henderson, and you can follow me on the Herfeed at the Herfeed. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit future.psjhealth.org. Thank you everybody else for watching and we'll see you soon.